Colossians 1, beginning at verse 24, and reading through to chapter 2 and verse 5. Now, those of you who were here last week, remember that the first part of Colossians, Colossians 1, is about the supremacy of Christ, the majesty of Christ. And now Paul continues by reflecting on his own ministry, uh, his ministry of the gospel. So Colossians 1, beginning at verse 24. Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end I labour, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how much I'm struggling for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. Amen. Thanks, Steve. Uh, really good. If you can keep your Bible open, uh, have a Bible with you. If you uh, would like one, there is one left on the back shelf there. Uh, so please help yourself. It's good to have one with you. Um, just as we're reading that, I thought it might be just worth explaining. Laodicea uh, is a city very close to uh, the Colossians, uh, just a few short miles away. They also appear right at the end of the book. Paul writes a separate letter to them. And what he asks is that at, once they've read them, they swap letters. He says, so there's some things in their letter that you should read, and there's some things in this letter that they should read. So uh, just a little bit of uh, background there. Uh, before we get into this, uh, let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you that you caused Paul to write this letter all those years ago. We thank you that you worked through him to speak to the Church of the Colossians, uh, but thank you, Lord God, that you've also enabled this letter to be kept and recorded so that we could read it and study it today. And so, Lord God, we do pray that you would give us understanding of what it is that you are saying, not just to them, but to us, your church in South Darwin. So, Lord God, we pray for your Spirit's work in my words and in our hearing, uh, that you would be at work and that you would be glorified. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, John's uh, talk to the kids did a very 
fantastic job and it is introducing us or reminding us that there's a great difference between what is real and genuine and what is fake. In our world, we need to make that distinction very clearly, don't we? It's estimated uh, in a recent uh, article in uh, Business Review that up to half of the artwork hanging in the world's galleries today is actually fake. It's done, purported by one artist, but is actually done by an imposter. If you've ever been to a, a developing world, a country, uh, and been to one of the markets there, you need to know the difference between what is genuine and what is fake. <laughs> Casio watches for 50 cents, genuine Gucci handbags for $1.50 aren't likely to be the real deal. They are likely to be fake, imitations, knockoffs. We need to be very careful in some of the things that we buy and some of the things that we do that we're getting the real deal. We're getting the genuine article. If you're in that phase of life where you want to propose to that very special girl, and you go out to buy a ring, you want to know the difference between genuine and fake. Nobody wants to come up with one of those imitation gold, imitation diamond rings professing your undying love to that very special girl. If you want to buy that very nice piece of artwork to hang in your home, if you're that way inclined, you want to know the difference between what is real and what is fake. No one wants to spend thousands of dollars to find out that it's a cheap photocopy of what is the real deal. Now, as important as it is to know the difference between what is genuine and what is fake and watches and handbags and artwork, there is an even greater even more significant issue where we've got to know the difference between what is genuine and what is fake. And I want to suggest that it's actually the most important thing in life to know the difference between what is genuine and what is fake. Because in our world, there is genuine gospel and there is fake gospel. There is genuine Christian gospel ministry, and there is fake gospel ministry. And we need to know how to spot the difference between the two. Now, last week, as Steve said, we started our way, working our way through the book of Colossians, and we looked at the first 23 verses. We saw there Paul introduces himself and Timothy as the writers of the letter, and he talked about the, the prayers that he has for the Colossian church. He, his prayer of thankfulness to God for their, their faith and their love, which is driven by hope, and their prayer for them that God would fill them with all wisdom and understanding. And we saw how he finishes on this, this high note, this wonderful, great picture of who Jesus is, the sovereign creator, the sovereign recreator of everything that there is. Now, we also mentioned, though, that there were some rising issues in the Colossian church. And in chapter 2, verse 6, where we're going to pick up next week, we're going to deal with them a little bit more fully. But here in this in-between section, he is answering a very important question. And that is, why Paul and why his gospel? Do you remember we said last week that Paul had never been to the Colossian church? He wasn't the church planner in this case. Many of the, the letters that he writes, he is, but not this one. He'd never been to the Colossians. He, he hopes to go. Uh, same with Laodicea. 
And so the question could be asked from them and would be asked by them, why do we listen to Paul? Who is he to tell us what to do and what to think and what to believe? What makes his gospel the true gospel? And so in this little section, he spells out why he is a genuine apostle with genuine gospel ministry, giving to them the genuine gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what we want to have a look at this morning. And we want to look at this for, for a couple of reasons. Firstly, so that we too receive Paul and his gospel and his writings as the genuine real deal. But secondly, so that we know how to spot the difference between genuine gospel ministry and genuine gospel and what is fake gospel and fake gospel ministry so we know what we're standing on and we know what kind of ministries we want to place ourselves under. This morning has two points. Uh, first one is why Paul? Uh, and the second one is why Paul's gospel? We're going to start with them with why Paul? Why should the Colossian church listen to him? Why is it that they should pay attention to the things that Paul spells out to them? And the question that's going to be asked as well, why do we? Why do we, 2,000 years later, still read and study Paul's writings as authoritative from God and relevant for his church today? Well, Paul spells out three reasons why he has genuine gospel ministry, why he is the real deal. And the first one is this, is that he has been given a commission by God himself. Have a look there at verse 25. He's talking about the, the, the church, and he says, I have become its servant by the commission God gave to me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but now is now disclosed to the saints. What is he saying? He's saying, look, I didn't wake up one morning after a couple of years of deciding what to do with my life and thought, you know what? I'm going to preach the gospel. Steady job, great pay, enormous potential for uh, promotion. I'm going to be an apostle. That's a good, good one. No. In fact, it's actually the very opposite. Who was Paul? He was, he was a hater of the gospel. He was a hater of the church. He was a hater of Jesus. He, he threw Christians in prison. He approved of those who put Christians to death. And it wasn't until God intervened in his life, struck him down on, on that road, and gave him that commission that things changed around. He's the real deal, he's saying, because God himself has given me this commission to you, or for you, this commission to make known the mystery, the gospel of Jesus. Now, the next two things that he's going, we're going to look at are really things that authenticate that commission. We, we know that that's a real commission. Firstly, because he gladly suffered. This is a genuine gospel ministry, and it's a genuine commission because he gladly suffers for the church. Now, we're going to get into verse 24 here. In verse 24, to be honest, is probably uh, the most difficult verse to understand in the whole of the book of Colossians. So I'm just going to take a deep breath and do my best. Uh, the first line is kind of okay. We, we get that. He says, now I rejoice in what was suffered for you. Paul, Paul's saying, 
I rejoice in my sufferings for you. And then he says, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, which is the church. Now, you could read this and say, hang on, hang on. What is he saying here? It looks like he's saying that he suffers for the church like Christ did. Christ's suffering was lacking. There was something missing. And so you're saved by Jesus and a little bit by Paul. Well, I'm going to suggest, not surprisingly, that that's not what he's saying. A couple of reasons why. Firstly, he has just said that Christ and Christ alone is supreme in reconciliation. He's just said it is Jesus the whole way. We, we looked at that last, way, last week. He's not going to say now, it's Jesus and a little bit of me uh, on, on the side. He's not going to do that. But secondly, the word that he uses there for afflictions, that is a word in Greek that is never used in the context of the cross or Christ's suffering for us on our behalf for sin. There's different words that are used to describe that suffering. This word is a different word. It's not talking about Christ's suffering in our place as a substitute for us. That is Christ's work alone. It's completed on the cross. There is nothing lacking in that. Nothing required still to be done. Jesus has paid it all. Paul is not trying to say he's paying a little bit more of that. What is there saying? There's a couple of things from Paul's conversion, which I think are really helpful here. Remember that story in, in Acts when Paul's on his way and he gets blinded and he hears that voice and the, Jesus talks to him and he says, you're persecuting me? Hang on, we say, no, no, no. Paul was throwing Christians into prison. Paul was persecuting Christians. And Jesus says, it's me you're persecuting? Why is that? Because Jesus and his church are so closely aligned that to persecute the church is to persecute Jesus. When Jesus suffers affliction, when the church suffers, when the church is afflicted, Jesus himself is afflicted. Secondly, remember when uh, Paul's about to, to be given his commission and God says, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Right back then it was said, Paul, you're going to suffer for me and my church. You see, the reality is, is that the way of the gospel of Jesus going out, the way of the advancing kingdom is the way of suffering in this world. The gospel goes out in the context of hardship and difficulty, affliction for the church, which is affliction for Jesus. What Paul is saying here is that there is more affliction for the church to come. It's not finished. It's not over. That affliction keeps going. And he says, I take on my body some of that, a part of that. What's still to come, what's still missing, I take that and I rejoice in being able to do that for you, the church. See, 
we know and the Colossians were to know that Paul's ministry was genuine ministry because he suffered. Because he gladly suffered. Because he rejoiced in his sufferings for the church. Because he knew that that was the way that the gospel goes out. Third reason why his is genuine ministry is because he loves the church. He has genuine love for the church. Now, I'll be honest, the word love is, is not mentioned here, uh, but, but look at some of the things that he says to, to the Colossian church there, chapter 2, verse 1. He says, I want you to know how much I am struggling for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My purpose is that they may be encouraged and hard and united in love so they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ. Verse 4, I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. Paul loves the church. Paul wants what is best for the church. That's why he rejoices in his sufferings on behalf of the church because he has tremendous love for the church of Jesus. Colossians sitting there, they receive a letter from this guy, Paul. They've heard about him. They know what he's done. They've never met him. Why should they listen to it? Because he is the genuine article. He's commissioned by God himself. He gladly suffers on behalf of the church and he loves the church of Jesus. But I want to suggest that this doesn't just authenticate Paul to the Colossians. This also authenticates Paul to the church of today, to us as well. John Lennon fa famously made a remark that he, he really liked Jesus, but he didn't want anything to do with the disciples. He really liked the sort of things that Jesus had to say, but he thought the disciples r ruined it completely. John Lennon's not alone in that thought. There are plenty of people who think Jesus, or at least their version of Jesus, he's really good. But what the disciples have to say, what Paul has to say, we, we don't need a part of that. Paul is, Paul is so first century. He, he's so old-fashioned. He's homophobic. He's, he's anti-Semitic. Uh, he's got old-fashioned views which don't cut it in the world today. All of these things that people will say about him and, and want to write off what he has to say. What is this saying? You can't do that. You don't get one of those red-letter Bibles and say, I'm just going to obey the bits in red because they come from Jesus. He's, he's the chief authority. No. Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. Paul was and is the apostle to the Gentiles. He's our apostle. God used him to build the foundation of the church on which we now stand, on which now Christ continues to build through us. That's why we still read the letters of Paul and the other letters in the New Testament. That's why we still listen to the things that he has to say and take them as God's word authoritative to us. That's why we don't write him off as a, as a relic of the first century, but as God's mouthpiece to the church then and today. Because he is authenticated, genuine, not fake, gospel ministry for the world. Now, there's some more that we want to say about this in terms of how we identify real gospel ministry and what we've placed ourselves under, but we're going to come back to that after we consider this next point because there's some stuff I want to add in there as well. So that's firstly, why Paul? The second question is then, why his gospel? Why not just listen to Paul, but why receive 
his gospel, the gospel that he proclaims. When we said last week there were some things going on in the Colossian church, some things that were arising that were of concern that threatened to take them off the firm foundation. Next week when we open up chapter 2, verse 6 and beyond, we're going to see him addressing some of those issues. But here he, he gives some initial statements. Why his gospel is very simply this. Because his gospel is all about Jesus. Have a look at what he says there in verse chapter 1, uh, verse 26. Remember, he talks about the commission that was given in verse 25, the word of God in all its fullness. Verse 26, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Chapter 2, verse 2. My purpose is that they may be encouraged and hard and united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ. What is it that Paul is proclaiming? What is his gospel? What is this mystery of God? It's Christ. It's Jesus only. Now, there are a couple of things going on in the world at the time that, that, that's helpful with this, this, this idea of mystery. Firstly, what you had in the, in the pagan world at the time was you had these cults, these, these religious sects, these religious groups, who we now refer to as mystery religions. They were called mystery because their rites and their practices were a secret. They were hidden from the outside, and you only got to know it once you became a part of the inside. You learned the mystery. You were welcomed into the mystery of that religion. Not only they, but also Jewish world at the time, they had the sense of mystery as well. Their mystery was something different. Their mystery was the plan of God for the world, which was only going to be revealed at the end of time. So the end of one time and the ushering in of the new age, God's mystery, his plan of salvation was going to be revealed. What's, what's Paul saying? He's saying to those who, who have accepted Christ but may want a deeper mystery religion, something deeper to be initiated into, he's saying you have it already. The mystery is Christ. Christ in you as the hope of glory. There's nothing else. There's nothing more. You've got it all. To those who were, who were considering going from paganism to Christianity to Judaism and, and bringing the law in and all that, Paul's saying, no, 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 no. The mystery has already been revealed. God's showing us what he's doing in this world, and it's Jesus. That's God's plan of salvation. He's the point at which the ages change. He's the point at which everything changes. You see, Paul's gospel is genuine gospel because it's a gospel which is all about Jesus. Look at what he says there in chapter 1, verse 28, the, the end there. He says, we proclaim him, we proclaim Jesus, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end, I labor, struggle with all his, en all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. He says, this, th th this is who we proclaim. Th this is what we make known, the mystery that is Christ 
and Christ alone. His gospel is a genuine gospel because it's not, it's not promoting Paul. It's not promoting Jesus plus. It's not promoting Jesus and then. Because his gospel is about Jesus and Jesus alone. See, you and I, we get ripped off and we end up buying a fake Casio watch. What happens? Well, we've wasted $2.50 and it breaks down after a week and we've got to buy another one. We buy a fake Gucci handbag. What happens? Well, the leather rubs off on you, it causes an itch, and you go to the doctor for some ointment, you get over it pretty quickly. You get over it. Imagine, imagine if Qantas bought a fake Boeing. Imagine if, if they got fooled into buying this fake Boeing plane. What, what could happen there? The results of that could be tremendous, couldn't they? It could be horrific to buy a fake plane. Let me tell you something. If we stand on and receive a fake gospel, there is nothing worse in the world. To receive and build our lives on a gospel that is about anything but Jesus, we are standing on a shaky foundation. We may still be in our sin. If we're thinking that there's another way to be saved apart from Jesus. We might still be standing before God unforgiven and unchanged if we're believing and trusting in a gospel that is anything but Jesus and Jesus alone. You see, knowing the difference between fake and genuine gospel is, is not just an optional extra. It's a matter of eternal life and eternal death. See, this makes the Colossians, and it's meant to make us ask the question, have we received and responded to the genuine gospel of Jesus? Have we trusted in Jesus and Jesus alone, or, or are we having Jesus plus Jesus and something around about Jesus because this is serious see not only this but this opens up and this helps us understand what we place ourselves under in terms of true gospel ministry and in terms of true gospel teaching see true gospel ministry and true gospel teaching according to Paul here has three very clear elements it has suffering it has love and it has Jesus and Jesus alone. Now, I remember as a young person growing up in the 80s and early 90s, and it was kind of the era where these like famous world-known preachers would kind of roll through town on these to preaching tours, and Christian young people in particular would get together and youth alive, whatever this big rally anybody would go. I, rem I remember as a 17-year-old being in a home group, and Murray was the, was the leader of that home group, and we we were deciding as a group whether we should go and listen to this, this, this teacher. And, and it was really helpful because we, we, looked not, we looked at his teaching, but we also looked at the kind of guy that he was and whether we wanted to place ourselves under true gospel, genuine gospel ministry, whether that's what we would be doing. Now, I want to suggest that today this is far more important because with the we're, we have access to hundreds 
and thousands of gospel teachers, of gospel ministries that we might want to place ourselves under and be influenced by. And not all, surprisingly, not everything on the web is genuine gospel. You know, you can Google stuff and you're going to get some genuine things, but there's a lot of fakes and a lot of imitations there. We want to be people who place ourselves under genuine gospel in genuine gospel ministry. That means that we listen to the things that are being said. We ask the questions, is this about Jesus and Jesus alone, or is this trying to promote another way of living, another way of being saved that is Jesus plus, because there is so much of it out there. But it also means that we need to listen and look beyond the teaching to the teacher as well. Because if there's no room for suffering, if it's not a gospel ministry that welcomes and embraces suffering for the church alongside Christ, then it's not genuine gospel ministry. If there's no genuine love for the church, then it's not genuine gospel ministry. You see, you and I, we could probably, just about all of us, name cases of preachers who have skyrocketed into popularity and over the course of time, their ministry and their teaching has been undone because there's no, no room for suffering and there's been no genuine love for the church. There is a lot of teaching in our world today which actually wants to write off suffering in particular altogether. Which wants to say, suffering has no part in the Christian life. If you're suffering, it's probably something defective about your faith. True gospel ministry welcomes and embraces suffering because it's the way the gospel goes. It's the way that it continues to go in this world today. Can I also suggest, uh, maybe foolishly or bravely, I don't, I don't know, that when you when we sit under the ministry of myself and the other elders, you need to evaluate our ministry by this as well. You need to be thinking, is this about Jesus and in Jesus alone? Do those who minister amongst us, our elders, do they welcome suffering on behalf of Christ? Do they show genuine love for the church? If we don't, you need to say something. If we don't, then you need to pull us up because there's something wrong. Not only this, but this helps us think about the kind of gospel ministry that we as a church want to and need to have in the community around about us. We need to ask the question, is our ministry to the community around us, does it a, is it a ministry which is about Jesus first, second, third, and last? Is it about Jesus and Jesus alone? Because if it's not, there's something lacking. 
is our ministry to our community a ministry that embraces, that rejoices in suffering, that gladly receives suffering on behalf of Christ? Because if we're wanting to avoid it, it's not going to be genuine ministry. Is our ministry to the community around us a ministry which has deep love and compassion for people? Does it genuinely care about the people that we're seeking to minister to and reach and care for? Can I just end, end on this note as, uh, as an encouragement? I believe, talking to the elders and other people as well, we are a church that has experienced and continues to experience our fair share of suffering. Not, maybe not a lot persecution, but we have a lot of parts of our body, I'm not just going to say people, but parts of our body who, who really do suffer and struggle. Chronic conditions, long-term conditions, life-threatening conditions, and, and it's been this way for a while. We could ask the question, why, God, what, why? What are, you, what are you doing? Why do, we, why do we have to do this? Can I suggest that when we receive it gladly, and that doesn't mean we have to like all of it, but we receive it gladly, God uses that to authenticate our gospel ministry to the world around us. To be a community where people suffer and struggle and it's okay and we love and we support, it's authenticating gospel ministry to the community around us. We've been through some pretty tough times and we've got parts of our body that have been through and continue to go through difficult, tough times. But in the midst of that, we, we trust that God can and will use that for His glory and for His sake to promote Jesus and Jesus alone through us. Let's pray together, shall we? Lord God, we, uh, we thank you that you're at work around the world, that you have been right from the very beginning. We thank you that you are recreating everything through your son, Jesus. And thank you that you're also doing that in and through your church. Lord God, we recognize that it's, it's sometimes really hard to be used by you because we know that the way of the gospel is so often the way of suffering and affliction. Lord God, please help us to remain steadfast to you, built on the right foundation, gladly receiving all that you give us when it's for the sake of Jesus, for the sake of people. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to... Uh,